people use church for wrong reasons as well as right reasons. I like the sense of community. Yes. The problem with church... We live in social isolation a lot. Like, I never would be focused on that at all if it wasn't for my faith. Very, very welcoming to me. I feel a part of the community. The church is the hands and feet of Christ. Like, there's a reason why people do this. There is something to it, so... Connection and belief and faith. Loving everyone. Well, good morning, Journey. How y'all doing? You doing good? Great. We're going to continue our series, Why Church, this morning. And, and as you came in here today, you were probably greeted by somebody out front, somebody who maybe had a tag around their neck that said, how may I help you, right? They, they maybe shook your hand, said hello, answered questions. Maybe they tried to give you like the awkward Christian side hug. You know that one? Like where you're like, should we hug or shake hands? Oh, they're going for, for the side hug. Okay, perfect. And, um, and their job here is, is to make you feel like you're right at home. And they are here every week, half an hour early to pray for you, uh, to get ready for you coming. And what they've invested themselves in is not focused inward in the morning, but focused outward on a Sunday morning. They want to be focused out for you. One of the books that they're reading together as a group is the book called Everybody Always by an author named Bob Goff. Anybody heard of this book? Everybody Always? Okay. So here's the big idea if you're not a reader, uh, right? The, the, you can just, this is, this is my version, okay? Love everybody always. That's what the whole book is about, okay? I just saved you $19, okay? So love everybody always. Always, which sounds really awesome. And when you start reading these stories, you recognize that that's just not Bob's mantra. That's actually who he is. I've been trying to read along with the team throughout this, um, throughout the time that they've been reading it together. And we read chapter five last week. And chapter five talks about a limo encounter with Bob Goff. So Bob, he's written a couple books and he's gotten a little bit famous. And so he goes around from conference to conference. So he gets a call from somebody who said to him, hey, we want you to speak at a conference in Walt Disney World. And Bob was like, cool, I've never been to Walt Disney World. So they said, okay, awesome. Would you pray about it? Get back to us. Bob said, you can pray about it. It's Walt Disney World. I'm coming, okay? <laughs> so Bob flies out to Florida. He gets to the airport. He comes down the escalator and he gets into the lobby area and he's looking for a taxi. So he's going to go grab a taxi, but out of the corner of the eye of his eye, he turns and he sees this guy who's got a hat on. He's dressed really nice. And he's got a sign that says, Bob Goff. And so he walks up to this guy and he says, I'm Bob. And the guy says, yeah, but like, who are you? Are you, are you famous? And he's like, no, I'm just Bob. And the guy's like, okay, well, I'm your limo driver. And so Bob gets into the limo with his limo driver. And as Bob always does, he strikes up a conversation. He wants to find out about this guy's family. He, he finds out that this guy's been driving a limo for 30 years. He's, he's coming up on his retirement soon, and he's been supporting his whole family, driving a limo for all of these years. And Bob says, hey, man, 
it's really cool back here. You ever, you ever been back here? You ever ridden back here? And the guy said, no, no, I've never ridden back here. And Bob leans forward and says, hey, listen, you're gonna retire anyways. How about you let me take your hat and sit in the front and drive and you get in the back and you enjoy the ride for a little bit. And the guy says, yes. So Bob gets out, yeah. So Bob gets out, right? And he gets on the hat and he gets into the driver's seat of the car and he drives around and he drives this guy to his Walt Disney World um, place that he's, this, the hotel that he's staying at. He pulls over into the parking lot and he gets out and opens the door for the guy that should be opening the door for him. It gets better. The guy gets out and Bob reaches into his pocket and pulls out a medal, Okay. Because Bob walks around with a coat full of medals and he gives people medals. So he puts this medal around the guy's neck and he says, thank you for doing such great work over these years. Thank you for being faithful and committed and selfless. You deserve a medal. And when I was reading that, okay, you know me a little bit, right? So we're getting to know each other some more. Like, I'm not a everybody gets a medal kind of guy, okay? <laughs> like, like I'm, the, I'm the guy who like, I already know I'm participating. Just tell me if I won or lost. Like I don't, I, when I got the purple ribbon back in the day, I was like, really? A purple ribbon? Like I, I was just there. Like stop giving medals to everybody. But how can you argue? How can you argue with a guy who literally brings medals around with him to give to strangers. I mean, that guy, that guy, Bob Goff, deserves a medal for carrying medals around to give to strangers. His whole point is that he wants to live what we're calling the rhythm of out. He wants to love everybody always. And to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple, is to engage in a rhythm, a discipleship rhythm, a way of life. And we've been unpacking this throughout this series that there are three movements, three rhythms in the following, the way we follow Jesus. The first that we spent about three weeks on was the up, that we worship God, that we hear and respond to his voice. The last three weeks we spent talking about the the in, how do we connect to a spiritual family? How do we connect here as the messy, wonderful family that we are? And then the last movement of a follower of Jesus is that we live outward, that we love everybody always. That's what Bob Goff would say. And that, my friends, is challenging. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning, engaging in a broken world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Instruct us, teach us through these stories of you and your, and your encounters and engagements with people who needed you. Help it to stir our hearts about how you might move through us this week to the broken world outside. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we'll be in John, John chapters 3 
and for, I'm not gonna read two full chapters for you uh, this morning, but we're gonna reference two stories in John 3 and John 4, two unexpected encounters of Jesus to help us learn the rhythm of out from him. Our first out story, out story number one, we're going to call it this, Nick at night. I stole it. I did. Okay. Nick at night. I don't even know if it's on TV anymore, so it's all good. Okay. And here's how the story begins. John chapter three, starting at verse one. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish, Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. Everybody say boo. Okay, all right. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Sometimes people show up at the mid, in the middle of the night at your front door and they need to have a conversation. Sometimes people show up unexpectedly in your life at an inopportune time and at that inopportune time, the question is, what will I do? What will I do as I engage with this broken world outside of me. The same thing happened with Jesus. This man named Nicodemus, and, and he shows up in the middle of the night. He shows up to where Jesus is staying, and he comes to speak with Jesus. He's got some questions for Jesus. He wants to find out uh, from Jesus some, some answers to some questions that he has. And as we look at this, we've got to ask a couple questions before we get into the story itself even. We've got to ask this, why is he coming in the middle of the night? Like, why, is, why, why, why show up in the middle of the night? I mean, he can have conversations with Jesus. He's a religious leader. Jesus also is a rabbi. He's a religious leader as well. So why show up in the middle of the night? Well, it has to do with who he is. See, because he's a religious leader, because he's a Pharisee, He's got some issues with Jesus, right? If you have been around church any amount of time, you understand that Pharisees and Jesus, they didn't do so well together, did they? Right? Jesus got more mad at the Pharisees, the religious leaders, than anybody else. He, He called them things like whitewashed tombs. He said, you look so great on the outside, but inside you're dead. You're a tomb, right? He called them vipers. You're like, Jesus, that's not a very nice thing to say. Love everybody always, Bob Goff would say, okay, Jesus. But Jesus called them vipers. He, he, he said they were, they were misguiding people, that they were leading people into the law and legalism instead of into relationship with Jesus. And Nicodemus is one of these guys. He's one of Jesus' guys. He's a religious leader. He's a Pharisee. He's familiar to Jesus within the story following. Jesus doesn't say, who are you? Jesus knows exactly who Nicodemus is. There's a good chance that Nicodemus and Jesus had several encounters before this evening. It's almost like a neighbor of yours who shows up in the middle of the night and says, hey, can I borrow some sugar, okay? It's kind of like that. Somebody that's familiar with Jesus, he's, he's of the same type of person as Jesus, and yet he comes and shows up to Jesus 
in the middle of the night. And part of why he shows up in the middle of the night is because he's probably not supposed to talk to Jesus, right? There's probably rumors about Jesus. There's probably things going on that people are saying, hey, this Jesus guy, like <clears throat> he, he, he's healing people on the Sabbath. Did you hear about this guy? He's healing people on the Sabbath. How dare he violate the Sabbath? This guy is no good. And Jesus would get with them and say, no, 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 hey, listen, I'm gonna heal whenever I wanna heal, right? Because I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so the Pharisees and Jesus were a little bit sideways. And so, so Nicodemus comes at night. He comes sneaking over to wherever Jesus is staying in the middle of the night because he doesn't want anybody to see him. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's gonna have a conversation with Jesus, that he has some questions, that he doesn't have it all figured out, that he doesn't have all of the Answers. He's coming in secret because he doesn't want anyone to know that he needs Jesus too. Some of us in the room are religious people. And some of our friends, our neighbors, our family members are religious people as well. And they need Jesus too. So I went to a couple colleges. I, I was just exploring my options. And <laughs> the second college that I went to was a Bible college in the Bible Belt in Tennessee. Anybody from Tennessee? You got any Tennessee people here? If we don't? Oh, we got one. Okay, you might be a little offended. It's okay. You're, we'll stay with me. Okay. Um, <laughs> I won't say the name of the Bible college. There's a lot of them in Tennessee, so you can take a guess. Okay, so I went to this Bible college in Tennessee. And the reason I went to this Bible college in Tennessee was because it was inexpensive and I could learn about the Bible. And there was a river that ran through campus that happened to be a place you could fly fish from time to time. So uh, those three reasons, I was like, okay. And packed up the Honda Accord, drove across the, the country to Tennessee. And when I rolled on campus, I figured out very quickly that I was at a place that was gonna be really difficult for me. The first day, we were getting ready for chapel and my roommate said to me, where's your tie? And I was like, tie? <laughs> like, no, no, like you have to have a tie and a dress coat for chapel. And I'm like, I don't, dude, I don't have a tie or a dress coat. And so he, he borrowed me a, a tie. And so that next week, I went with some other guys that didn't know about the whole tie and chapel gear thing. And we went down, uh, we went down to the Salvation Army and we got us some three-piece suits that were plaid with bow ties, rocking the chapel gear. Four required chapels a week. Required. Like there was a punch card in everything. You had to go four required a week. And then Wednesday night, you were supposed to attend some sort of church event. And then Sunday, you were supposed to also be in church which means you were hearing six sermons a week, which could be awesome, but it could be also really, really, really bad, right? Let's be honest, okay? <laughs> and so I was like, this is interesting. And they're like, well, you gotta give your best to God. And I'm like, I don't, okay, that's awesome. I don't, I don't know where the dress code is in the Bible, but awesome, okay. Then I found out that we had curfew every night. I curfew, I was 21 years old. Are you kidding me? 
Like my parents didn't have curfew for me when I was 18, let alone 21 at a Bible college. And they're like, you need to be home by 10 o'clock at night and on the weekends by 11. And I'm like, why? And they're like, bad things happen after dark. And I'm like, really? Like that's... So some of us figured out that there was a loophole and we, we, we figured out that if you signed yourself out the night before, that if you didn't get back by 11 o'clock, you could just sleep in your car a couple hundred yards from the uh, gate and then the gatekeeper would look at you all night long judgingly a- as you slept and then you could drive in at like 6 a.m. and be like, oh, I signed myself out, loophole, okay? <laughs> I'm not in trouble. Um, there was a holy circle on this campus, okay? So there was a circle, and inside the circle was the, the chapel and then a holy pond, a holy pond where they did baptisms. We're gonna do baptisms in a couple of weeks. So awesome, so excited. There's a whole pile of you that signed up, and it's just, I'm so excited about it. But there was a holy pond and a holy chapel in the holy circle. You, you couldn't like hold hands with girls in there. You couldn't wear shorts in there. You couldn't wear sandals in there. It was all kinds of crazy um, sort of regulations about the place. And one night I had some friends uh, who... Um, bet a guy that I know uh, to swim across the holy pond with less than optimal clothing. <laughs> and he did, and because it was money, and I was like, okay. Um, and I got to the end of the year there, and I got a I got an email from the dean and the president and um, the head of student affairs. And we sat in a little room and they said, Brian, how was your year? And I said, I thought it was a blast. (laughs) (laughs) And they didn't disagree. They thought I probably had a blast too. And then they said to me this, they were super generous with me. They just said, Brian, we, we really don't think that this place is a great fit for you. And I was like, neither do I. (laughs) Uh, Needless to say, I moved on from that school, but but what I ran into that year was a lot of religious people. Um, And this isn't just... This isn't just about the South. This isn't just about Bible colleges. This is about being religious. See, religion is, is um, hard but easy. It, it's hard because it's actually hard to do, but it's easy because you know what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to follow all the rules. Like religious is, I just do this without asking the why. And I just do this, and I just do this, and I just do this, and if I pray enough, and if I give enough, and if I follow the rules and I go to church and I don't drink certain drinks and I don't smoke certain things, like, you get what I'm saying? Like, those are the rules. And we say, oh, as long as you live good, you don't hang around those bad people, you're good people, then you're good, right? And this is easy for us to fall into. Even at a church that's so like, like we're the chill church, I get that, right? And you think, oh, those people are out there and those other churches, no, 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 no. You and I, we both want to earn our, earn our own salvation. We do. 
We, we have a hard time receiving the free gift from Jesus that is his grace and blood shed upon the cross for us because there's something in us that says, if I can just earn it, then maybe Jesus will love me. Like maybe Jesus and I, we got this, we got this secret pact that nobody else knows about. And if I'm his good little kid, I'm his good little boy, and I'm his good little girl, then my good, good father is actually going to love me and embrace me and give me grace. And I think it's a trap that all of us can fall into. I think it's easy for us to dress in our Sunday best to put on our Sunday answers, which are like, hey, how's it going? Oh, bless, brother. Really? Heard your marriage was on the rocks. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm blessed, brother. No, 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 listen. Get real with me. See, Jesus doesn't want religion. He wants real. And Nicodemus sneaks over in the middle of the night, not because he wants to be religious, it's because he wants to be real. And he's got some real questions for Jesus. He's really struggling with Jesus' message He's really struggling when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me. He's struggling when he hears Jesus say, you know all the religious scriptures, you know all about me, but you don't know me. And here's the point. Jesus, Jesus is here for religious people. Jesus wants to save religious people. It might be you this morning. Like he still wants to save you. You don't need to get prettied up for Jesus. You can come in the middle of the night with all your questions to him, just like Nicodemus did. Anybody else in that culture in that day would have said Nicodemus was the right guy. He had the right status, right? He was a religious leader. He had it all together. He had all the answers, all the credentials, but at the end of the day, Nicodemus needed Jesus too. Out story number two. We're gonna call it Nameless at Noon. Nameless at Noon. Shortly after Jesus has this interaction with Nicodemus, he has an interaction with a Samaritan woman. And Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for the Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? If Nicodemus showed up in the middle of the night at Jesus' front porch, this woman, she showed up on Jesus' path in the middle of the day. And the question would be, why is she showing up on Jesus' path in the middle of the day? Let's learn about this nameless woman because sometimes people show up in our lives in the middle of the day as well well she was there in the middle of the day why because what we learn later is that she was probably outcast the middle of the day would have been the hottest part of the day 
If you would have come at a normal hour of the day, you would have come either in the morning or the evening when it was nice and cool out and that you could get all of your water, you could have a conversation with those there at the well and then you could go home to your families, but not this woman. She's there in the middle of the day when she's expecting no one to be there. And the reason we find out is that she has had five wives, or five husbands, five husbands. Well, wives would have been weird too. Um, five husbands. She is coming there in the middle of the day because she lives in a culture of honor and shame and she fits square in the shame category. She's the person that no one wants to associate with. She's the one that doesn't have it all together. She's not religious. She's a Samaritan, the hated, the hated people of the Jews. The, the person that the Jews did not relate with. I mean, if you want to check all the boxes off of why Jesus shouldn't talk to this woman, they could, you could check them all off. Jesus shouldn't be interacting with her. She is the broken, she is the outcast, she is the dirty, she is the left out, she is the left over, she is the outcast. And yet Jesus engages with her. Jesus looks her in the eye and he loves her. Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Talking to Strangers, simply says this, strangers are not easy. Strangers are not easy. And yet Jesus comes upon this stranger who has everything going wrong in her life. And he loves her. So the year before I went to that Bible college, I went to another college, Whittier College in LA. I've already talked about it before. So you already knew the name. Went to Whittier College and... I uh, went there to play basketball, and um, I came from a, a small Christian high school in Denver. So, so like, I would have been like, kind of like Nicodemus, let's be honest, okay? I would have been kind of like Nicodemus, raised in the church. My, my dad and mom have both been in ministry their, basically their whole lives. Like, I, like, people ask me, why are you pastor? I'm like, I don't know how to do anything else. It's just like who I am, okay? So like, it's in the blood. And so, right, so... So I had all, all that religiosity built up and I went to Whittier College, which I remember sitting in, in our lobby in our dorm room the first night and we were coming up with rules. And if, if the other school, the Bible College had lots of rules, this school had none, <laughs> like none. Like we sat there and, and, and the RA said to us, okay, what rules do you guys want? And I'm like, what? Like we get to define the rules here? This is gonna be awesome, right? I mean, there was no closed hours. Um, didn't matter if you were underage drinking, um, as long as you like didn't go crazy. Like, like the one night where the guys like started a couch on fire and threw it out the window. No joke, okay? This is what happens when there's no rules, okay? By the way, I wasn't part of that couch scene. I may have swam without clothes on, but I did not throw the burning couch, okay? Put your judgments away. <laughs> And, and I heard about, 
um, a couple Christian groups on campus. One of the Christian groups on campus uh, was just like this Christian fellowship and I show up the first evening and there was two Christian guys on the whole campus. And I'm like, ah, like, I, okay. Like there's a whole lost world around me and, and I'm like drowning in it. And, and there was a second group on campus, the gospel choir. And I was like, awesome, gospel choir. I'm in Los Angeles, by the way, okay? If you don't know where Whittier is. And so I show up, I show up at gospel choir. And let's just say my nickname for the rest of the year with that choir was Ivory, okay? That's like, it's just... They said it like it was, and I loved it, man. I just love, I embraced it, okay? And I was like, okay, these are my people. Like, this is it. This is, I got, I got my gospel choir, and I got my two Christian guys, right? That's what I got. And I shared with you in the garden sermon, like, there were nights where I'd go down to the basement, I just pour my life out to God in that basement, um, but the reality was, I was just in the midst of a world that was lost, I was in the midst of a world that was trying to stuff anything it possibly could into its soul because its souls were, were empty. And there was, there was never enough partying. There was, there was never enough drugs and alcohol. There was never enough sex. It was just more and more and more and more and more and it never seemed to fill them up. And, and as I looked around throughout that whole year, all I saw was lost and broken people. Jesus is here. Jesus is here for the people without religion. Jesus is here for the wrong people. He's here for the people who have sins and a load of baggage. He's here for the one who doesn't have the answers. He's here for the wrong people as well. So here's today's big why. Today's big why is we have the only lasting source of light and life in a dark and dying world. Why would we live out to those who are religious and to those who are just lost? Why? Because we have the only lasting source of light and life in a dying and dark world. Let that sink in for a moment. Like this is the gift that has been given to you. You, we have the only lasting source of light and life in a dark and dying world. World. I've heard another pastor say it like this. The local church is the hope of the world. And I don't think that's an overstatement. See, people out there are asking why each and every day. Why this life? Why this suffering? Why am I going through this? Why the highs? Why the lows? Why everything in between? Why does my life matter? Why should I have purpose in this life? They're begging the question of why, and you have the answer. You have the answer. You can offer them light and life in a dying world. The best Jesus they might see this week is you. And they need to see you. 
and they need to see Jesus in you. Whether they're lost in religion or they're just lost in life, it's dark and it's full of death for them and they know it deep within the marrow of their bones that it's not going anywhere and they need you. They need you. See, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night in the dark and he says, come live in the light. He he says this, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can only reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. He's saying, he's saying, listen, come into the light. Don't sneak over here in the middle of the night, Nicodemus. Come into the light and come into life. What everybody else has to offer for you, what this religious world has to offer for you, it's not life. It's not light. It's dark and dying. And when he engages with the woman at the well, he says, come into the light. Here's what he says to her. If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living Water, He says, listen, you're going to keep coming to this well and drawing from this well and drawing from this well and drawing from this well. And each and every day, you're going to have to come back here and it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to satisfy. He says to Nicodemus, you're going to follow all the rules, point by point by point, 620 something rules. You're going to follow all of them. And yet you're going to be empty. You're going to be lifeless. And I want to invite you into light and I want to invite you into Life. One unexpected encounter. One unexpected encounter. It changed everything for these two. It changed everything. In fact, let's go on with the stories. So Nicodemus. Nicodemus helps take Jesus' body down from the cross. You understand? Like this is at the beginning of John's account. So Nicodemus starts following Jesus instead of following the religious rules, so much so that he's there at the final moment, at the culmination of Jesus' ministry, taking Jesus' dead body down from the cross because it changed him so much. Because he saw light and he saw life and it changed everything. The woman she has this conversation with Jesus where she thinks he's gonna heap judgment upon her, but, but instead he invites her into light and life and she leaves, goes to this whole village of people and says, you gotta come and see this guy who told me everything about myself. You've gotta come and see him. She becomes one of the greatest evangelists in the book of John bringing whole herds of people to Jesus to hear more about him. It changed everything. One unexpected encounter. And so here's what I wanna do for you this morning and here's what I wanna do for me this morning and us. I wanna invite you into one unexpected encounter. One unexpected encounter. Because maybe you're like, man, he didn't read most of the story and I don't know all the details. And can I be honest with you? Like, some of those matter, but what really matters is that Jesus engaged with these people. What matters is that he loved them and that he saw them 
and that he engaged with them and he spoke to what was deeper in their soul, what they really actually needed. And, and I, I, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that this week. Um, and so we're gonna do something called the $5 challenge, okay? So you've been wondering what this is all about probably the whole time, like, when's he gonna get to the $5? Um, and some of you up front have been like, why are there $5 bills like all over the place here, okay? And I promised I wasn't gonna like do that, I promise. So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna move away from temptation, okay? So, so as we were thinking about this series, we were thinking about how could we, how could we help you engage? And how could we help us engage in really tangible ways? And the reality is, most of you don't need five bucks this morning. You, like you don't, I know that. But, but, but here's what we want to say to you. During, um, during this end of the service, the, the worship that we sing after this, and even the be- beginning of sort of a reflective time, um, I want you to, to think about maybe coming up here and taking one of these $5 bills. I don't expect all of you to come. Some of, you, some of you need to meet Jesus first before you can share Jesus, and that's okay. Like, it's, it's okay. I hope, I hope you're meeting him a little bit this morning, and I hope you meet him a little more tomorrow and, and a little more the next day, and, and I hope at some point you say, hey, Jesus, I want to be on your team, right? Um, so so I, I'm not really expecting that you would come. Um, uh, some of you, you don't need the five bucks, and you're like, I don't need the five bucks. It's all good. Okay, cool. But here's the challenge. For some of you, I want you to come up here and I want you to take a $5 bill as an act of worship. And I want you to commit to spending that $5 this week to having an intentional conversation with somebody. Maybe it's somebody in the coffee shop that you kind of sit next to all the time. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's somebody that runs in your tribe, just like Nicodemus and Jesus. Or maybe it's somebody that's pretty unexpected when you would take this $5, you would be saying, in a sense, I'm expecting something. I'm expecting the unexpected. And then you would take that five bucks and that you would buy somebody coffee or that it would help pay for a lunch or um, somebody said, we're not, in, we're not in Tennessee anymore. You would buy somebody a beer and have a conversation with them about what's going on in their life, what's going on in their heart. How can you encourage them? How can you pray for them? How can you walk life with them? And, and I, just, I just imagine what if, like what if we would do this? Like, I know there's a few of you that are like, really, you're gonna give away that many $5 bills? Like stop it, okay? Listen, we're not being frivolous with what God has given to us. What you give every week is out of the goodness of your heart to God, and we try to give it back to him the best that we can. We do a lot of marketing things that cost a lot more money than all these $5 bills, and I don't think they have the potential to have as much effect as this does. I think if we took seriously that God could do something, that he could change the world, that we have the only source of light and life, and we took that light and life into a dark and dying world, it could change everything. It could change everything. So, take a $5 bill from the stage during this next worship time. Um, give some room so people can get in and get back and all that good stuff like we do with communion. 
commit to engaging in a spiritual conversation with someone this week, having coffee or lunch, or if you're not from a Bible college, a beer, and using that $5 for engagement there. And then here's what my ask would be of you. Tell us about it. We want to hear about it. We want to hear what God has done. So for those of you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, right? We got a hashtag. Hashtag $5 journey. Hashtag $5 journey. So all you're going to do is you're going to do a hashtag $5 journey. You're going to tell us about it. You don't have to tell names or anything, but maybe that person wants to take a selfie with you. Awesome. We would love that, right? Hashtag $5 journey. You're going to say, hey, here's what God is doing. This isn't about me. This isn't about this. This is about what God is doing when I live not in, but when I live out. Heavenly Father, thank you that you engaged in this dark and dying world, that you gave, that you gave yourself, that we might have life. I pray um, that you would use this money to build your kingdom, to reach lives, and to change everything. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.